0: What's up, everyone? Today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming on James Guzman of the Borderless blog to this episode of El Nino Speaks. But before we delve into today's topic about Mexico, James, please tell my audience about yourself and what you do.
1: All right. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on. like you said my name is james guzman i currently live in san miguel de allende which is the center of mexico i've been here uh, in mexico for uh, over 10 years now and uh, i choose to live here (laughs) i was born in san diego california was raised mostly in north carolina and uh, was in the navy i was uh, in iraq then uh, went to university in madrid I was one of the first uh, brokers for Euro Pacific Bank in the Caribbean, so I lived there for a while, and then I came here to Mexico and uh, been working in real estate, insurance, things like that, just basically helping other people that want to either expatriate or get a residency and tax advantages and stuff like that down here in uh, Latin America, but mostly here in Mexico.
0: Great stuff. What made you choose Mexico of all places?
1: Well, I've been a lot of different places. I've been all over Europe and, and Latin America, mostly the Caribbean. Honestly, I just kind of ended up here and I enjoyed it. I just kind of, I fit in. I already spoke Spanish, so that helped. And it's inexpensive. It's a good quality of life, you know, depending on, uh, you know, where you choose to live. And to me, it was a good fit. And I mean, it is definitely like the number one expat place for Americans, Canadians. And so, you know, there's a reason for it. It's just, um, it's a soft landing. There's a lot of people that are very accepting to people from up north it's a little bit more of a americanized in certain places but you can get a good standard of living and so yeah so i've i've been here for a while and now i'm i'm married and i'm going to uh have a son in a couple of months too so i'm pretty much all in in mexico this is where i've chosen
0: that's absolutely fantastic to hear now you'll obviously have like some doubters here who always like talk about like the cartel problems in Mexico. And since you've been in Mexico for a while, could you give like a brief overview of the quote unquote cartel war situation that's taking place in Mexico, namely when these conflicts started, like the principal actors involved and how things are going into the present? Oh, boy. Well, that's it's, it's a long story
1: without getting into kind of a whole narcos history. I mean, how I see it, it um, you know, originally it was um, most of the cocaine was coming from Colombia and everybody knows the story of the Medellin cartel in Colombia and Pablo Escobar. And then uh, that turned into the Cali cartel once, um, you know, that was under the first George Bush that came in and took out Pablo Escobar. During that point, they were always traveling, bringing the cocaine and other drugs through Mexico. Mexico was basically like a transfer zone and people like Chapo, who has become very famous, they basically just hijacked the business. And uh, it was called the Mexican trampoline is what they were calling it at the time that they basically bring cocaine and uh, marijuana were the big drugs at the time. And, uh, and they would bring it to Mexico and then distribute it out to the United States and Chapo and, and others from Sinaloa Took over the business for the most part. Uh, they started growing down here, and they basically took over much of the drug trade in Colombia. They still do grow a lot, but basically, I would say that of the drugs that comes up north from Latin America, it's mostly all controlled by Mexican led cartels. And so that was um, kind of uh, you know the the origination. And yeah, sometimes they would get into other things of kidnappings. You know, big targets, right? So people that had a lot of money. Sometimes extortion is not really too heavy in that and other things. But um, one of the things that they've tried to do is take out the heads of a lot of these cartels. So like, for instance, in um, in Acapulco, uh, that's where I first moved to when I moved to Mexico. Let's see, in 2012, I believe it was, they took out Barbie. Barbie was actually the head guy for um, the head cartel leader that ran Acapulco. And he he was from Texas, interesting enough. He's an American guy. And uh so when they took him out, it basically uh created a uh you could call it a power vacuum. And uh that's when Acapulco became, you know, very dangerous as we know it today. It's got one of the highest murder rates in the world per capita, and as far as cities go, and, and um it's been that way for maybe ten years, it's been on the top ten list. So when that happened, then it's just kind of a cascade. You know, all the uh, once the United States put a, uh, a travel warning on, that's another thing that really hurts geopolitically because then they stop having direct flights, they stop having big cruise ships can't come in there, and it's kind of a downward spiral. And so I think that in in a way that kind of happened with uh, a lot of Mexico with them taking out Chapo and, and some other uh, big-time leaders that it creates uh, kind of a, a power struggle for smaller players. And so, like, for instance, right now, um, most of the uh, of the stuff that you see going on is between uh, uh, Nuevo Generacion and the Sinaloa cartel, which is losing a lot of traction. And now, basically Chapo son is running a lot of stuff, but but you know, still exists. But the uh, Nuevo Generacion is the main main cartel that's coming in. And you know, as they they're getting less money from the drug trade, unfortunately, it seems that they are diversifying into more extortions, extorting agriculture stealing gas straight out of um, gas lines, things like that, just other ways of making money. Also, a lot of business uh, north of the border. They're not afraid of, of doing business north of the border, uh, the newer uh, generation. And, and so um, I think that's one of the more uh, could be a, like a, a flashpoint is as they keep pushing up north and they get more involved in things in Arizona, Texas, You know, that that could really set off something that could uh, turn into a much bigger fight between either the government or if there's some organized crime in the United States even that feels like that these guys are coming to their territory. They could try to, you know, they're all hooked in with with different parts of the government so they could like uh, petition for the government to get involved in something like that Or, or who knows. But I just think that as they move into the territory up north and as they move into different things that aren't just drugs, I think that that could... It, I think it's a possibility that, that could really turn into some co- kind of a inter-country hot war in in like the coming decade or something. So,
0: so yeah, you mentioned Jalisco Nueva Generación and the Sinaloa cartel. What are the other principal cartel actors in Mexico that hold a lot of turf and influence? Oh,
1: well, I mean, honestly, it really depends on where you're living, right? You know, where I am, that's that's the main ones. But there are all kinds of different ones that call themselves different I can't off the top of my head I can't think of all the different names I mean the zetas were pretty big for a time but they're not really that big anymore so honestly that's really the two main people right now and I mean you do have different autonomous regions and and people especially down south and and uh, you know different smaller gangs that break off but they're usually you know somewhat associated with the two main main uh, cartels at this point
0: Yeah, that's actually a good point. You talk about these autonomous regions because Mexico is by no means like a small country. There's like, I believe, 32 states in total. Now, are there areas in the country that are much less impacted by cartel violence that are known as kind of like safe spaces from that?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, so there are millions and millions of expats that live down here. And if it was Everywhere in in Mexico is a war zone. I mean, nobody would be living down here, you know, voluntarily, right? So there are all kinds of um, of people that enjoy living in Mexico, like myself. And you know, I don't want to live in a somewhere where people are getting killed in the street all the time. So that's not my experience here where I live. Uh, most places where you would see where it's there's a lot of foreigners that either travel or uh, live there. So that would be you know Puerto Vallarta, where I live in central Mexico, which is uh, uh, San Miguel de Allende. You know, funny enough, the state that I live in has some of the higher uh, murder rate in the country, but it doesn't affect me at all. Like I live in a very safe town. The capital, Guanajuato capital is is very safe, but there's different places in the state that they're having these, uh, these gang wars. So that's another thing that's, it's hard to kind of, you know, pinpoint because you might be thrown off by the numbers. But then when you come here, I mean, I honestly, especially as a foreigner, you know, a lot of times you're, you'd be safer here than you are wherever it is that you're living in the United States, honestly. Yes. Yes. But then you have, you know, all the places people know, you know, Cancun, you have um, Tulum, you got Merida. Uh, if you want to go a little further down south, you have Oaxaca City, which a lot of people like. It was recently rated uh, number one city in the world by uh, Travel and Leisure. And the city where I live in, San Miguel de Allende was number two. And um I would say Huatulco is in Oaxaca as well. That's a a place a lot of people like to go. Zihuatanejo is another one. So yeah, you know, there's all kinds of different areas. I would say you're mostly in the areas where the cosmopolitan areas of Mexico City, perfectly fine. And I mean, it's a big city with lots of business, lots of stuff going on, amazing restaurants, museums. It's not like you're going to Beirut or something. I mean, it's a big cosmopolitan city. So those are, I would say, the main places that... You know, believe it or not, you're just it's not, uh, you know, some shithole that that you might hear about.
0: Yeah, no, big time. Yeah, in Latin America nowadays, yeah, there's obviously like poverty and all that. But you can find any kind of urban center that has like all like the amenities of your typical western metro area and oftentimes it has like much richer culture classical architecture it doesn't really have a lot of the blight that you see in a lot of places these days in yeah. the west
1: you know we know it's interesting and and you're right i remember when i first moved to acapulco and i'd be talking to my friend on the phone or something in the states and i'd be like oh i gotta run to walmart you know and they'd be like, there's a walmart I'm like there's a walmart you know yeah, walmarts <laughs> movie theaters malls i mean clubs all kinds of, of stuff but uh, yeah, like uh, another thing that's different is that you have all that, but, you know, interesting enough uh, that in pretty much all of Mexico, you still have kind of a homogenous, you know, uh, society. So like you said about the cultural thing, like there's still kind of Mexican cultural things. You have festivals, music, Mexican food. So that, that's kind of a, a different thing is it's like a multicultural mishmash. It's Mexico and, you know, you, there's no mistaking that, but at the same time, you have a lot of uh, kind of first world um, yeah. places to go to when, when you go in the, uh, in the, in the bigger cities, like where I live, we have, uh, you know, a couple grocery stores cause I live in a smaller town with a hundred thousand people, but it's still very Mexican and it's all colonial architecture, cobblestone streets and things like that. But we still do have like very nice restaurants. And, and if, you know, if you want to go to uh, a nice, uh, uh, you know, like a big grocery store or even a Costco is like 45 minutes away or, you know, like a big department store, you can do that if you want to. So, you know, it's kind of a, a mix of both worlds.
0: In your time talking to people or just browsing like the internet, reading stuff about Mexico, what would you say are the biggest myths that people tend to hold about Mexico in general?
1: That's a good question.
0: Well, yeah, I would say one is, is uh, you
1: know, that basically everybody's poor. I mean, there's a you know much uh, higher dispersion in uh you know uh, the the rich and the poor but uh yeah there are definitely people that you know you'll see a level, level of poverty all throughout latin america that an american is not going to be used to sometimes you know depending on where you're driving through but also there's a lot of mexicans that are very rich you know and and that's and one thing that i point out to people when um when they are uh, asking about getting kidnapped or something is that basically the people that get kidnapped are rich mexicans like the Somebody associated with the CEO or a politician or diplomat or something like that. I mean, these people are really rich. Like, if you just got a hundred grand or a couple of hundred grand in the bank, and you know, you're driving a regular car, that's not the type of people that you know. You're not rich. You're just an, a normal person. They're not going to be targeting you for <laughs> for kidnapping. They're going after you know the very rich people. You know, where I live on the weekend, a lot of people come in from Mexico City, and I mean, these guys just drop money. Like it's crazy, you know, and, and uh, uh, in the bars and all that stuff, just buying bottles left and right. And so, you know, you as an American tourist, you're like the owners of the bars aren't going to even really cater to you because you're not spending as much money as just your, your average, like young Mexican guy with a whole lot of money.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of like big time, like Mexican oligarchs. They're like from like the Carlos Slims and like the Salinas types. Like there's a lot of money in mexico contrary to what a lot of people say
1: yeah and uh i mean there's so many things I, I mean I, you know i guess another one a lot of people just think of the beach you know and of course there's beautiful beaches down here but you know mexico is a giant country and if you're at all interested in history there's a lot of you know old history that's one thing about the uh the united states i really learned one of the first things traveling throughout europe and the world and latin america is like the history in the united states is so young Compared to other places in the world. So, you know, in, in Mexico, you have ruins all over, you have colonial structures, you have a lot of different history, a lot of uh, natural beauty, you know, waterfalls and mountains and cenotes and and things. And it's, it, there's a lot of different geography, different people, uh, different societies, you know, like we're talking about autonomous regions, you have people that speak completely different languages and live different ways there's places that have completely kicked out the mexican government and you know they have their own police and have their own uh, religions and stuff and and um, yeah so it's just it's a big very you know it has a lot of uh, i guess you could say diverse uh, of uh, area you know and it's a giant country so i think that's another thing that everybody just thinks of like
0: cancun and that's it now are the expats that usually come to mexico retirees or more young professional types
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I help people uh, from all over the world and I've done podcasts with people and and a lot of them moved to Latin America. Some of them were doing Southeast Asia. I think that's been less because of uh, COVID restrictions. But uh, yeah, so here in Mexico is definitely a very popular destination for that type. And my podcast has been more geared towards digital nomads and young people that have businesses, real estate investments, stuff like that, that allows them to travel. So where I live uh, in San Miguel, it's definitely tilted more towards retirees just because of the community but there's places like i would say puerto vallarta is not i would say tulum is not tulum has a more younger expat population and there's a lot of places that um uh, guadalajara i would say has more of a digital nomad type so what do you mean by digital nomad is just somebody that has some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor businesses or something that they can run from their computer and so those people uh A lot of them go to Mexico City. A lot of them go to Guadalajara. But yeah, you can definitely go to, you know, a place like, there's a place called Lake Chapala, which is outside of Guadalajara, which is like, I think the average expat age is over 70 years old. And what I always tell people, because, you know, where I live, people, you know, like I said, it's more geared towards older retirees. But honestly, you don't have to be with that crowd if you don't want to. I mean, they mostly hang out in certain Bars, restaurants, uh, uh, they have their own dinner parties and stuff like that. So, you know, if you don't want to uh, to hang out with those people, then you don't have to. Uh, even in uh, where I live, where it's considered one of the you know highest expat populations, it's still less than ten percent. I would say closer to like five percent of the entire population. So, there's still plenty of people you can hang out with people your age that are that are locals, international people, of course in Mexico City. You can have people from all over the world that are working for companies there that have their own businesses. But I would say here, in, in, where I live, it's at least probably like seventy percent of the expats down
0: here are retired. I see. Have you noticed COVID accelerating expatriation from the U.S. to Mexico?
1: I don't think so. There was a big push when um, Canada was was you know had their um would uh, had just started with their VAX requirements. I was getting tons and tons of uh, calls and people that just wanted to scramble to move down here that were just decided not, to, you know, they said, whatever happens, they're not going to get the COVID vaccine. And so there was no, Mexico is one of the few places that they could go. And there was a huge rush at that time. But I don't know that there's really been a huge uptick. It's been kind of a steady flow, honestly. Uh, you know, as I've been here the last 10 years, there's always been people interested in coming down. I think that probably because of uh, remote work, people, you know, more people are are able, you know, they're able to come down. And and so they are. I find it strange that I've seen this phenomenon uh, that's been reported lately. And I've seen it firsthand about a lot of uh, Californians and people like that, that are from blue states that, that come down here. And I think that's really weird. I don't know. I think that, you know, they are, like, they don't live in reality for the most part. And so like, they, they think that, Mexico is like some liberal utopia and, and, you know, the Mexicans are all on the same page as them and like, they're not, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, like where I live in Guanajuato is the most conservative state in the, in the whole country. Right. And so there's a lot of like, um, Democrats are like, Oh, I'm going to move down to a place that's, uh, you know, I got to get out of this right wing United States. I mean, for, for example, abortion has always been illegal. There's no pride parades or anything like that. They still have bullfighting for God's sakes. And it's popular. So I think that a lot of people that are kind of side of the spectrum that move down here because they think I don't know what they think, but they they continue to live in uh, like not in reality, even when they move down here, because all they do is like people will come move down here and then they just watch CNN all day. You know, I don't understand the point of that, but there are people to do that.
0: That's actually kind of curious. What would you say is like the ideological breakdown of like the majority of expats that you interact with? Well,
1: I mean, I'm kind of, you know, outspoken uh, about a a lot of my opinions, Uh, you know, it's all over the internet. And so I think that just as you've had uh, Trump derangement syndrome in the United States, I mean, I was never some huge Trump supporter, but I mean, as you know, all you had to do was pretty much not like, Hail Hillary as your uh, Lord and Savior and they label you as a as a Nazi or something right and they you know and you're cut out of social activities i noticed a lot of the, uh, the that type of expat down here had, had the same thing and they they've suffered the same affliction uh, and you know it's like people I, I can't believe they still haven't got over this like they're still have trump living in their mind and they live in mexico you know it's just insane (laughs) but uh, yeah there is there's there's still a large amount of people i you know i I call them like the washed up hippies a lot of single women you know like cat ladies because you know another thing about where i live is it's very artsy so they come down here and it's like oh you know they take art class and i don't know buy some crystals and and uh (laughs) whatever they do So, yeah, so there's a lot of that. I I think that lately, there's been a lot of kind of the opposite of um, people that find the United States and especially Canada. I I wouldn't say left wing, a lot of them would say that, but I think more what you're saying is like statist in general. You know, you hear a lot of people just saying like freedom, like they want more freedom, they want to escape just kind of the, the, you know, the dictates of, of the government in general. Uh, high taxation and, and uh, especially the COVID mandates. That was, that was a giant thing. I mean, I knew that was going to be the, uh, the line in the sand for so many people. Cause I, you know, it's just like they are at this point for the people that haven't got it, they're not going to get it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, <laughs> so they're just like, screw it. They live That's in Canada. It yeah. Right. So there's definitely a lot more of those and um, they have different telegram channels that, uh, you know, people connect to off that I run one of them. Yeah. So that's kind of, you, you do have some, some definitely like eclectic types. So, so you got all those types. I mean, I, I have a, we have a, a meetup every Friday that's, um, we have cigars and mezcal and stuff. And it's mostly, it's like Republican to libertarian type of people, uh, all the way to some anarchists, I suppose. And so, yeah, just, you know, uh, so you got all those types too. And, and even down here, they kind of like self-segregate. And uh, yeah, I would say that's, that even, you know, I think it's pretty sad that um, even down here, I'm not saying that I'm immune to this, that, you know, we're, we're so caught up in the, in the propaganda and the mainstream stuff that even when we're down here, we have to segregate ourselves in these like uh, narrative blocks, but that's what happens.
0: Yeah, it is pretty curious to see how that goes down, because I I do recall when I was living in Chile for a few years, you did see that also somewhat manifest itself, though. I've heard from people that I've maintained contacts with in Chile that there's been a lot of reverse migration of those expats back to the States due to Chile's uh, controversial lockdown policies. But yeah. I know a guy that actually, um,
1: they were doing kind of this uh, Antifa thing where they would push your car, you would stop, and they would uh, raise their communist flag or whatever, and you're supposed to beep your horn and support them. And if you didn't, then they would hassle you and push your car and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know this guy, and uh, he was down there, and they did that, and he pulled out a gun, and they started coming at him, and he shot in the air. He didn't shoot them, but he shot in the air. And um, they came to his house and arrested him. And he's been in jail for years. And uh, they labeled him because he also taught economics. And so he taught free market economics at one of the universities. So in the press, the Chilean press, they labeled him a, you know, right winger or
0: whatever. Are you referring to John Coben? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I actually met him before in Chile. Yeah. Yeah. That whole story is crazy. Yes. It is. That's the type of thing you want to avoid, <laughs> the,
1: you know, because now he's in jail and, and you know, he's been smeared in the press. So who knows all the bullshit that he's getting in, in jail now by the people that think, you know, oh, you're some Yankee. Come down here. when want the private hours are land or whatever they say,
0: you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens.
1: I know another guy that um, he had a, um, a development down there. He was building this whole uh, development. And um, he had been there for years. He built a lot of it. And as this just this kind of, I see it as kind of a grassroots leftism in Chile. They just start to, you know, and they say, oh, the Chicago boys or, you know, whatever. The Yankees are coming down here to uh, take our resources or something. And he's just trying to get like a, you know, an investment development down there. And guys just came up on his land and beat him up and tied him up and stole all their stuff and said, hey, you know get out of here. And so he had to just leave and, and pack up and shut down the whole thing, you know, but it was basically like anti-gringo sentiment. So that's definitely not, um, not good. And I, that's something that's going on in Chile. I don't see that at all in Mexico. I mean, maybe there are some people, you know, what's funny actually is the people that I do hear, uh, say stuff like that. They're actually Mexicans from California. The ones that talk about, uh, colonization or blah 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 and uh, or you know just americans want to come down and take this and that it's almost always i've what i've seen is is a lot of the you know it's probably a mexican that grew up in california and went to university there
0: (laughs) yes yeah that's generally what happens that mind rot is typical of people who attend american universities these days now let's shift towards a more like positive, like topic, like say we're dealing with someone who's never been to Mexico and wants to get to know the country a bit better. What cities would you recommend for them to travel to?
1: Okay. Yeah. So the ones I, I mentioned uh, uh, earlier are, you know, they're going to be the the ones that you want to go to. So like the, where I'm at is considered to be a good uh, transition. Um, San Miguel de Allende in the state of Guanajuato, just because, there's a long history of Americans that come here. There was a guy named uh, Sterling Dickinson who came here in the 1920s and he established an art school here and he was very loved by the community. And so after World War II, uh, a lot of people used their GI bill and uh, went to art school at the school that he built. So there's been a long history of Americans coming down here. And uh, so that's why it's a little more like they're definitely, you know, friendly towards Americans and a lot of people speak English and, it's a little bit more Americanized, I guess you could say. Yeah, Mexicans probably wouldn't like me saying that, but it, but it is. And um, yeah, some of the other places. If you want to be at the beach, I would probably recommend Puerto Vallarta area. A lot of people have been going there lately. It's growing like crazy. So uh, it depends. Also, if you want to be in a big city, because these days I think with all the COVID madness, we've seen that, and you know the supply chain breakdowns. You, you see that being in a big city might not be the best option. So, you know, that's why I like here where I'm living is because, um, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's small and we have a lot of locally grown food and, and, uh, it's walkable and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's a big thing depending on you know where you want to go is to keep that stuff in mind. But, and, uh, probably Mexico city, if you want to be in a big city, that's definitely like a big cosmopolitan place where there's lots of stuff to do. Lots of people to hang out with great places to go. And, um, Medida is another place that's very safe. It's a big uh, city, but the only thing is it's really hot and humid. Um, so that's another thing that a lot of people need to take into mind is is, um, is the weather. You know, obviously a lot of places in Mexico are extremely hot and humid, especially at the beach. You know, that's like, for me, I just can't take that. You know, I lived in Acapulco for a while and for months out of the year, I didn't want to even leave my room because I'd just be sweating like a pig, you know what I mean? (laughs) So (laughs) so those are probably some of the main places. I usually recommend, you know, when people do kind of an expat journey or they want to try out uh, another country, maybe diversifying themselves internationally, it's good to look at the different uh, aspects of, of, of the places where you want to go or you're thinking about going. But more importantly is a people that you know. So I say go places where there's somebody there that can show you around that maybe you can stay with or, you know, maybe uh, maybe even somebody that you don't personally know, but that can offer you services, you know, like myself or others that that's really important is because you can lose a lot of time and money just spinning your wheels. And, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, people are going to try to rip you off and, and, uh, you know, finding the wrong people. But if you know somebody there, it's kind of established and can show you around, you'll find the right place to go. You can get in the network a lot easier. And things like that. So uh, yeah, those are the places I would probably recommend in, in Mexico. But I definitely say that also definitely keep in mind, not just the, those aspects, but where you go, that you
0: actually know somebody
1: that can show you around.
0: Great info there, James. Before we depart, tell my listeners where they can follow your work and learn more about your services. So
1: com basically has all of the all my posts and stuff like that. I have a podcast called Borderless Podcast that you can find it on pretty much any podcatcher. I've been doing that for, I guess it's like eight years now, and uh, we do a weekly thing. Me and Hervoye, which you act, you uh, do a weekly thing with him as well, and we talk about a lot of news in between uh, the United States and Mexico mostly. And uh, yeah, I do international health insurance at uh, BorderlessHealthInsurance dot com, and yeah, they can follow me on my socials and stuff. JamesGuzman.com is probably the easiest way. It's got everything there. JamesGuzman.com.
0: Thank you so much, James. Fantastic content as always. And to my audience, thank you all for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.